0: Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Hi, Jen. Hi, Mayor. Happy New Year.
1: Oh, happy, happy New Year. How are you feeling Uh, about
0: this year so far?
1: I mean, so far it hasn't been that great. I've had to do some pretty heavy caregiving stuff, the social dilemma, you can't get away from it. Um, Yeah, just a lot still. I was really hoping for like that whole new year, new you feeling.
0: Didn't happen really, right? Both our moms are in uh, facilities. My mom's in assisted living. Your mom is in a nursing home, both with um, COVID outbreaks. And so that's another layer of conversation. And uh, my mom is quite dismayed about it all. She's angry when she calls or I call her actually, she doesn't call me. And um, it's hard to get her off of that loop tape of being angry that she's quarantined again.
1: Yeah, we we do have a lot of uh, listeners who have loved ones inside of nursing facilities, assisted living facilities. My mom um, has aphasia, so when I talk to her on the phone, I can't understand her. I'm not sure what exactly she understands from me, but I do understand angry, even when I don't know what the words mean. Um, My mom did test positive for COVID last week. Um, She has a a spot of pneumonia on her lung. She's being treated and uh, in high spirits, but she is sequestered for a minimum of four weeks or when her um, symptoms subside, whichever is the later. So even if she were to get better in the next two weeks, she would still have to do four weeks of time. Um, It's hard. I can't, my heart goes out to the people working. Um, at these facilities because I really feel like they've had the worst of it. Literally more than half of the people in my mom's facility have tested positive for COVID. I don't know how many have passed away. It's a significant number. Uh, more than half of staff now has also um, been diagnosed with COVID. And it's just, um, I haven't seen my mom since December of 2019. Mm, So I don't see my mom, you know, every time that I'm in the area. And so I had seen her right before Christmas. And then my brother had surgery in early 2020 had a couple of surgeries and, uh, you know, kind of in the back of your mind, oh, I'll go see her next month and that kind of thing. And um, yes, I haven't seen her in a really long time Mm. other than um, her facility posts photos on Facebook, which is nice, I guess um, to get a glimpse inside of there. So they, tough, do,
0: so they don't offer any, any FaceTime or zoom or anything like that.
1: They do. Um, it gets booked up pretty quickly because, um, you know, they just have one room and they can't bring anybody from the COVID unit mm-hmm. to that room. So I couldn't talk to her right now if I wanted to, unless a nurse had, um, you know, an iPhone and we kind of back door arranged it, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of HIPAA. Regulations around that, so um, yeah. So now, just really strange. I sent a couple of care packages. They have to hold them for like 72 hours, so you can't send anything perishable. What a mess! What a total yeah. mess.
0: Yeah, it is a mess. I zoomed a couple of times with my mom. She's um she's mid, I think mid stage of Alzheimer's, and I haven't seen her either in more than a year. Um, but she's out by my sister in California, so my sister. Um, brings supplies to her she'll bring her some takeout some tea but then with the new quarantine the woman across the hall from my mom tested positive for COVID and that my mom just lost it over that for days and those were those were like all those phone calls that we fielded a year ago when we were getting her out of our house in Florida and getting her to California it was hard it was just really it's the It's the whole undercurrent of caregiving is when you have these multiple layers of caregiving going on, you know, so yeah, interesting, but I have good news to share. Let's hear it. I'm going to be sixty one in a few days. I mean, I think that's just so great, right? because and, it's another birthday to celebrate in a time yeah. when not everybody is celebrating birthdays, so haven't you lost sixty one pounds before your sixty first birthday? Well. I wish I could say that. That would have been quite a goal, though. Um, 55. Pretty close to it. 55 pounds. So, yeah, that is pretty close. I feel good. I feel really healthy. So um, that's that's the best thing I have going on is that I feel healthy. I use this tremendous treadmill that's behind me frequently. And it's a really, it's my biggest um, uh, go-to for self-care is, and there's, and it's a no negotiation. So no matter what else is happening, I get my workouts set. whether I have to do it earlier or a little bit later. And when Tom needs, cannot be alone at all, even for a minute, there'll be care in the house because I'm still gonna work out. I'm still gonna take care of myself. It's been, it's been yeah. quite a journey getting to this point. So I love it. And that's the best thing I have going for 2021, I think. <laughs> so we have some guests today. We have um, the American Red Cross built military veteran caregiver network. And so I'm gonna call it MVCN like our guests do and like the American Red Cross does. And we have Melissa Cuomo, who's the director of MVCN and an Elizabeth Dole Foundation alumni fellow. And we have Melissa Johnson, program and services associate of MVCN and is also a fellow of the Dole Foundation. So there are four alumni fellows on our podcast today. Wow, we get around. We do, right? I think we're so lucky to have our Melissa's on our podcast today, I'm excited about it. We have, um, I have the mission of the American Red Cross, MVCN to share and that is to provide our nation's military and veteran caregivers of all eras with peer support to reduce isolation and increase connection, engagement, knowledge, skills, and hope. And I love that mission, especially at a time where isolation has taken on a whole new meaning for the world right now, and especially for caregivers when we already know so much isolation as it is. But I, and I honestly never thought I could feel even more isolated than I have, and I do. Um, so, I guess I built a little more than a life for myself than I thought that I did in this caregiving life, but um, certainly I feel it a lot more now, and I, I'm sure everybody agrees with that. Um, so I'm I'm going to welcome Melissa Johnson, or as my Tom says, Mojo here, for, um to, to come in and talk to us a little bit. Hi, Melissa.
2: Hi, Mary. Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of Tom, so you can you know, let him know. Any nickname he has is fine by me.
0: Okay, he'll like that. He'll feel special because you said that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so um, I thought we would, we would just get some background here with our Melissa's um, before we talk more in depth about um, MVCN. So what, who do you care for? And how long have you been a caregiver?
2: So I'm a caregiver to my husband, Sean, and I've been caring for him for almost 15 years. It'll be 15 years in March of this year. Uh, he was injured in 2006 in Iraq.
0: Wow! Can you believe that much time has gone by?
2: No, not when I look back, it it seems like a lifetime ago.
0: Yeah, it was, it is almost really, um, so so many years. And
2: how is he doing today? We have come so far, Mary. I, uh, you know, one of the nice things about having been a caregiver for fifteen years is the ability to look back and reflect. Um, and from where he was 15 years ago, dealing with his PTSD and vision loss and brain injury, you know, this past year, he served as state commander for RVFW, um, you know, able to be independent and, you know, be in charge and really take on that leadership role that he had in his employment before his injury.
0: Wow. That's exciting. That's, that's movement forward. And sometimes it's those few steps forward and a step backward and, Still moving forward and even a step backward again, you know, just over and over and over again, but still pushing forward, which I'm I'm sure so much of that has to do with your support as his caregiver and his wife. Not
2: not just my support, but the support of, you know, some of his friends and and fellow veterans Mm -hmm. who, you know, really wanted to see him succeed and they stepped up to help him with that role. And honestly, Mary, it was so beautiful. They did it in a way that was seamless and really made him feel like, you know, he was doing everything on his own. Even at times when they had to do a little background, you know, caregiving type duties as well, you know, helping with his memory or organization and things like that. So it was really a a lovely, uh, lovely role that they filled.
0: A a community, a little bit of a community effort, right? Because it's hard to do this in a bubble when you don't have anybody to help, right? Absolutely. Um, So, however you get that, I think, I think, once we have other people in our lives to help us on this journey, for yourself and the care recipient. It's so much easier for us. It helps to lift some of those burdens and responsibilities, and gives us a chance to just kind of take some deep breaths, you know. Definitely. How so? How does caregiving affect your life?
2: I think one of the biggest things for me is uh, kind of that conflicting priorities. Um, you know, your caregiving role always comes first, um, and even as I've tried. Uh, to do some more things for myself as my husband has gained some independence like going back to work Um, you know there's always something that comes up that's caregiving related Uh, you know it's a phone call from the VA or an appointment or a trip to the emergency room or um, you know needing a ride somewhere and I really think that has been um, long term the biggest impact Uh, There were a lot of things, obviously, initially with the PTSD and the brain injury and learning how to cope with all of those things. But I think now in this, this more uh, longevity phase that we're in, it's really that day to day, not necessarily being able to plan what I want to do. I recently went back to school and that requires, you know, a lot of time on my on my own, studying and reading and, and taking tests, that type of thing. And yet he still has, has a lot of needs and realizing that even though I see him doing so well at times, that need for the support and the assistance hasn't gone away. So it, it's hard to know when you can be first and when you have to um, set aside what you wanna do for your loved one.
0: So there's no, are you telling me there's no great formula for that then? <laughs> Not that I've found, because <laughs> I was hoping there would be like a secret there or something, you know. I, you
2: know, when I find the magic button, I'm happy to share it with everyone, but
0: not yet. Goodness, it's it's hard. I did. Um, I went back to school after Tom got sick in the 90s. Well, actually, I was I was in school already, and I I stayed, I think I stayed for my sanity. I think because it was the one thing I carved out for myself, and I had that was to get my bachelor's degree. And, I, and I, I knew I needed to have a bachelor's degree if I was going to be able to have a career and, and make some money and put food on the table. So I stayed with it. And then I became like a serial student for, for a while there. And even now I consider going back, I consider it an MFA. I got myself all excited the other day. And then I got a call from the VA and I thought, yeah, no, I don't really think that's gonna happen. I don't <laughs> I just, I don't know that I can juggle it all anymore. Right, right. It's, it's a lot. What you going, well, yeah. What are you going to school for?
2: I'm going to get my master's in social work um, to help enhance what we do at the military veteran caregiver network. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a teacher in my former life and I was going to actually earn my master's in education many, many years ago. And then my husband went to Iraq and I was home alone with three teenagers and it just did not pan out. So, mm-hmm. um, kind of fulfilling a dream that I've had for a long time um, and hoping to be able to use it in a way that really supports what we do at the Military Veteran Caregiver Network. Oh,
0: I think you will. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if you just think this was the greatest thing you ever did was to get your MSW.
2: Maybe on the other end. Yeah, how
0: far away are you from graduating? Well, where, are, where are you in the program?
2: Four <laughs> I just finished my first semester. Yes. Oh, you
0: did? Okay. Well, congratulations. That's, that's well, a good you. accomplishment. Thank you. We take any wins we can get. You know, we chalk them Absolutely. Up. So on your caregiving journey, we we all have a lot of surprises. I think along the way, what would you consider to be one one standout surprise?
2: I think for me, um, as I said, my head. I had teenagers at home when my husband was injured, uh, and we we had a lot of turmoil during those first couple of years when he came home. We didn't know, I mean, he had been diagnosed with um, what they called medically unexplained physical symptoms, and you know, we didn't know he had a brain injury, we didn't know he had PTSD, we didn't know he was going to have uh, vision loss coming up you know, within the next year. And we didn't understand like all of the GI uh, gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal issues he was having. We didn't understand any of that. And so um, if you can imagine any scenario you might encounter with a teenager, we went through every one of those, probably more than once on some occasions. And life was just a mess. We were a disaster. But what really surprised me is as our kids have grown and you know they really have come around, they are, you know, they became caregivers themselves. They spent one summer when I had ankle surgery that they were the only transportation that we had in the house. And they were doing the grocery shopping and the cleaning and taking dad to appointments because I couldn't drive for two months. Um, you know, they really have stepped up. And now, As I look at them as as adults, they're all in their 20s. They just have this kindness and compassion and and empathy for other people. Um, They really step up to defend their dad anytime they think, you know, they see something that he's been wronged or someone has um, You know, insulted him. They really are are just right there fighting for him and alongside him and I never anticipated, you know, back then I, I thought things would kind of go back to normal as you said earlier, <laughs> it'll just get better and it'll go back. But now that I see, you know, the way that they're raising their children and the types of values they're trying to instill, uh, that's what's really surprising to me is um, watching them and even watching our grandchildren, you know, when. When our oldest grandchild was in kindergarten, he would come home and the first thing he'd say was, "Do we have to get an ice pack? Does he have a headache today?" You know, and it's kind of funny to laugh at now. At the time, it was a little heartbreaking, but I've watched them all. They just kind of watch, like, "What does Grandpa need? What can we do? What can we help with?" And um, you know, that, that's just really kind of heartwarming now.
0: And you can't predict that,
2: right? Absolutely, no, never would have guessed. No, you
0: can't predict it at all. You can think and like I know for us early on with Tom. I thought, well, you know, my kids—they probably need counseling—and I mean, I didn't have like two pennies to rub together. So, we we'll, were going to—all I could do is just be honest with them. You know, this is what's going on. This is what's happening with your dad. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort sort of hoping and praying that all that was going to work out, and and just sharing it with them. And mm-hmm. you don't really know because there's no guidance there. So, right. they, there's no great big plan in that. You don't you don't know if they'll become empathetic or if they'll resent what is happening. Right. And, um, and I, I have found very similar with my children.
2: So I would say that was, that's a nice surprise as well. It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. They just turned out all right after all.
0: Yeah. After all. Turned out, we should, that should be the name of this podcast. They turned out all right after all. Um, and so what has been the biggest challenge for you? I think we've heard some of those challenges, but how would you identify a big challenge?
2: I think, I think the biggest challenge I would identify is that change in our relationship. Um, because before injury, the first 10 years of our marriage, we were definitely partners. Uh, We rarely argued, we would have lots of heated discussions, but we were usually on the same side of an issue. You know, we both agreed about something and we were both angry about it. Um, And obviously PTSD and brain injury changes a lot of that. It's changed a lot of who he is. And I feel now I'm more in that caregiving role. I'm a comforter, I'm there to support him. Uh, so for example, when we've had issues with our, our children when they were teenagers, I would have to help him process his emotions and deal with whatever the situation was, You know, underage drinking, You know, I'm dealing with the police officer at my house, I'm dealing with teen court, I'm dealing with his reaction. And then when everything was said and done, it might be weeks later, then I'd have a breakdown because I had to deal with my emotions now. I no longer had a partner who was going to stand beside me, not because he didn't want to, but because he just doesn't know how to do that anymore. And so really losing that support where we're united and we can discuss what we believe because one of the things with his brain injury is he he goes back and forth. So one day he's in support of it and the next day he's against it. Mm -hmm. So really trying to determine who I'm talking to today, how he's going to feel about it um, has led me to deal with a lot of things on my own that I didn't anticipate doing, you know, when we got married.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a big challenge. That's we, we have talked a little bit about grief on, on our podcast. We talked, we had a a uh, podcast where we talked about um, ambiguous grief Mm -hmm. and you know that I identify so much with that because that's how much that's what it is still sometimes like that with Tom after all these years and I can still remember saying to him okay so our kids were nine and ten you know I've disciplined the kids and you can't discipline them too we they can't be stuck in the house in a blizzard with two adults and both of them are angry with them you're just Mm coattailing me and it's not fair to the children. They need, they're used to me being around. I've punched them, it's over. I've done, I've met out the discipline or I've had the conversation with them and he, could, he couldn't restrain himself. And right. that is so- Very
2: familiar. Uh,
0: yeah, and then it was, a, it was a while before I realized how much I missed what we had and who he was. And, mm-hmm. and like you so many years later, I, I think I'm just grateful that we're still together. Not everybody can stay together.
2: Right, oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, another difference, Mary, is not everyone can see that difference either, that it's not what they want to be doing so much as something they can't control. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's been a big learning curve for me.
0: It is, and it can be lonesome for us to try to figure that out. I have a frog in my throat right now It's living in there. So um, yeah, it can be tough to figure it out if you don't have anybody to talk to you about it with or somebody wants to try to make it better. Because some, some of these things we can't make better. We can't make better that feeling of missing them. use time has to go by. You have to, it's great if you can have somebody to talk to, share it with, help shoulder it, and allow you to feel what you're feeling without having to sort of defend it, you know?
2: Absolutely.
0: So that's what being a fellow has done that so much for me, having other people who, who understand what we're going through. It's been great. But so I'm going to wrap up my part of this um, time with you and I've loved it is on a positive note what's the what's a positive aspect of caregiving I think we can share that with our caregivers who are listening because so good for them to hear some positives
2: it, it is we do and we do I know you know I hear it in my own narrative we start off with the negative uh, but I think for us one of the biggest positives that has come out of this is learning to live in recovery that this doesn't have to be the end we had a counselor one time look us both in the eye and say, what if this is it? What if this is the best it gets? You know, and I was barely 40 years old at the time thinking, holy crap, like this, <laughs> like what if this is it? But it really changed the way I think about this. We're living in recovery. That means that, you know, we've learned to adapt to the cycles. Okay, you're gonna have a couple of bad days but that doesn't have to mean the bottom falls out. That just means we get through these couple of bad days and then we'll have two or three good days. And learning that that's okay And to really be accepting of it and to not be angry or dejected every time it happens, um, I think has really been a big thing for us. And to just learn that, you know, each day is a new day and you're living in recovery little by little, there are going to be some improvements. It might not be in his health. It might not be in his mental health, but it might be in how I cope. It might be in how he copes. It might be in a strategy we use that helps both of us. Um, so I think that's really the biggest positive that now I no longer look at my life and say, like, what if this is it? This is all the better it's going to get. I look at, you know, what is it today? What are we going to deal with today? And, you know, I don't feel so dejected, like there's no end in sight.
0: So ch- changing, changing your, your outlook.
2: Yes, really, definitely. That's the
0: positive that you've taken to this, to a new level. You've taken Absolutely. Take whatever it is that you have today that you can be grateful for. kind of leave the other stuff behind knowing tomorrow's another day exactly exactly that's beautiful thank you for sharing that with us thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna hand this interview over to jennifer and melissa Cormo, also known as Moco, by tom ward
1: (laughs) well thanks Marin. thanks melissa you know it's um it's been a long time since melissa's husband was was wounded in iraq and I have to say that um, we've been caregiving about the same time. My brother was wounded in 2005, um, but Melissa was one of the folks who helped me when um, my caregiving journey hit a huge pothole. Well, it was just kind of a series of potholes that kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until I was so so buried, I didn't know how to get out. So I, I really have to tip my hat to her. Um, she's always so humble when I talk about what she, she did for me, but you know, in a time when I didn't know how to fill out um, applications for inpatient care programs or how to get um, request medical documents, you know, that's not my background, it's not my forte. She was there and she held my hand through the whole thing. So I have to really thank her for that. Um, she's uh, really responsible for me getting all the paperwork and everything done so that my brother could be um, inpatient at the Shepherd Center. Um, where he spent six months of his life actually. And it's, it's changed um, our lives for the better. So I wanna, I wanna, just wanna thank you for that.
2: And- We're all in this together, John.
1: I think that really speaks to the importance of a peer network and, and why even when you're feeling like the last thing I wanna do is talk to somebody else and hear their sad story. And I don't wanna tell them mine. Uh, that's the most important thing that you should be doing when you feel that way. And so I'm very excited to talk to Melissa Cuomo, who is here um, also with Military and Veteran Caregiver Network, part of the American Red Cross, just to talk um, about peer networks and, um, and how those are important. But I also wanna hear your story. We've known each other for a long time. We met on Capitol Hill. Um, uh, we were just little bills up there on Capitol Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, so welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your care recipient?
3: Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's so good to be with you today. Um, so in hearing, you know, how long have you been a caregiver and Melissa Johnson sharing 15 years, I just realized 2021 recognizes 10 years, a decade of me being a caregiver, um, which is crazy to me. To think about that, I've been doing this for ten years. My husband was first diagnosed uh, with what we thought was uh, combat stress in 2011 when we were stationed out in 29 Palms. And um, like all good military families, we were just gonna do what we needed to do to get through, keep everything on track, and and you know, get to our next duty station. And so he, uh, you know, went through the outpatient program they had there and uh, was cleared and was sent to SOTG out in uh, Camp Pendleton, uh, where really that's where the brain injury and the multiple diagnosis came out of. Um, And he was eventually transferred to the wounded warrior battalion there and medically retired in 2013. Um, Wow, just thinking about how long that's been, 10, 10 years. And then also to think, you know, I was 30 years old when that happened. Uh, and so I'm turning 40 this year and our son at the time was you know a year and a half two years old uh, so I've had a little bit of a different timeline with the kids uh, you know my we only have one son together uh, but you know just a long a long time uh, a decade a decade. Now, Mark, my son is 12 like I don't really understand where the time went <laughs> Maybe
1: that's okay. part of the
3: caregiving. It fast forwards everything.
1: Well, yeah, or sometimes it slows it way down. You know, I can remember the decade was a big, um, that was a big red flag for me. Like I've been doing this, you know, so long from my thirties and now into my forties. Um, 2015 was a real transformative year for me. You know, I had been a fellow for a couple of years. I had started working more started thinking about restarting my professional life and um, scared to death, uh, but probably more scared of doing 10 more years exactly the same way that mm. I've been doing it. Um, and Mayor, I don't know about you, was, was 10 years, uh, was that big for you?
0: So 10 years would have been um, 2003. And so that's an interesting point. So it, it could have been big but well, we, were, we were doing a pretty good job of figuring out, figuring out things we had, we had some stability by then and the kids were out of the house, but we had the invasion in Iraq that our son was in. So mm-hmm. I think that clouds everything for us. Yeah. That's the only
1: thing. How about you, Mojo? <laughs> did you have a 10 a year memory
2: you know, I don't remember 10 years. It was about eight years when we really, uh, you know, he he had a very long med board process. We had a lot of issues and eight years was the year he was finally medically retired. And that was a really hard year for him because that happened a month to the day before his injury. So, um, you know, we kind of had that disappointment in getting out of the military and that loss of his career, which we knew was coming, but was really hard for him. And then, you know, right after that, the anniversary date. um, I think that was probably our hardest year.
1: I think that um, I just wanted to ask all of you, I, you know, what it it, hit 15 hit us last year. And I, I remember just again. I didn't think I could do it for 15 years. There was a a low point in my caregiving life when I didn't think I could do it for one more day. And, um, but Melissa, you actually have really shown shown us what it's like to be successful as a caregiver and a mom and a professional. And, um, I'm just wondering, like, what's your
3: secret sauce? Oh gosh, there's no secret sauce. Um, I think it's just a, you know, these whole caregiving has always just been this extra layer of to do's for me. Um, I guess I, that's how I looked at it. And sometimes, you, you know, it has to be the first list of to do's and and how you prioritize everything around that. Um, I had the benefit of other caregivers as well. So I, got to talk to caregivers in dark places online and um, in in hospital waiting rooms and things where, um, you know, I would just ask the question, like, how how are you doing this? How, and I'd listen. I would just listen to what other people had gone through. And um, my favorite question to ask was, you know, sort of what you just asked me, what's your secret sauce? Or, you know, what's the one thing you wish someone had told you when you were holding a two-year-old in trying to keep him occupied during you know, a very serious medical appointment. Um, and I really just took note. And one of the things that constantly came up was don't lose yourself, don't lose yourself. Um, you know, make sure you have things that are yours. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about that in the podcast already with going back to school and having exercise. You know? um, and, and while I was mentally taking the notes of all of that, I mean, it was, you know, it didn't really resonate necessarily at, at that time. Um, but I would lay there at night, you know, <laughs> next to someone who was having horrific nightmares, and just be like, "Okay, don't lose yourself. Okay, you know, think of things that can just be yours." And I would just constantly process this great advice I had received from other people, and and just really tell it to myself over and over and over again. Um, and then I think. I, um, I wanted to make things better for, for people because so many people had made it better for me. And if I could somehow weave this web of being a mom and being a caregiver and helping others, I might be okay. And we really practice the reciprocal peer support model which is you know, that feeling you get when you help others and how good that feels. It's giving to yourself, even as you give to others. And so really working that model, um, it, it helped me be you know, successful in work, which is not work to me. I love my job. My job is my passion. Uh, caregiving is my life. Um, and it all weaves in together. And, and that's kind of the secret sauce, right? Is, is having everything come together and have that purpose and have something that's yours, um, even if I never in my wildest dreams that I would be here.
1: Well, I'm glad that you are. I've learned a lot from you. Um, I learned how to uh, make my hair look good in a ponytail for a meeting on Capitol Hill. And um, when I was having a really bad day, you lifted me up and the, just like some little simple thing like that. But I've learned really, really deep things too, like um, that the peer network, peer support, is can be a lifesaver for you and the person that you're supporting. And you know, I share my story publicly through Wind Warrior Project as a member of the Warrior Speak team. So I frequently, you know, have to relive the hardest, darkest parts of my life. But the other side of that is that the audience does it with me, and then they share with me the things that they've gone through and. Um, there's really nothing more rewarding than that. I love this reciprocal support model. I love that. Um, And I also love that the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network sits with the American Red Cross. I mean, nobody does disasters better than the Red Cross. And I mean, all four of us have had disasters in our life more than once that we've had to clean up, recover from, um, and get you know, back to all right after all, using M- Melissa Johnson's work. And I think that's uh, why I like what, what you are doing um, with the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network. And I know that we have some caregivers or some folks listening to say, well, what, what about people who aren't, don't care for veterans? Um, you know, do you have advice for them on how they can connect to other caregivers?
3: Absolutely. So while our program is uh, specifically designed for military and veteran caregivers, we do have an incredible resource directory um, that is actually born out of disaster cycle services at the Red Cross. Um, As you know, we don't know where these disasters are going to happen, and we need to connect with um, the local resources as quickly as possible. And so we have a fantastic tool that we use at Red Cross um, that has at least 800 resources for every zip code in America. So you're never gonna go to this resource directory and find nothing. And one of the best features of it is you can search as a caregiver. There's an option, you put caregiver on there and it will pull up all the resources that support caregivers right there in your zip code. It also has the option to uh, filter by types of diseases, um, by uh, different er times of care. So end of life care, Uh, veteran, you know, if, if that's someone that you're caring for there are different benefits sometimes. Uh, but that that resource directory really is for anyone and uh, can really connect you to other caregivers. If there are caregiver programs at your local hospitals, it can connect you to financial resources, uh, transportation resources. They have a whole section dedicated to care. You'll notice it's under the heart in the category there, but um that's really been a fantastic tool that we've been able to share because, as you know, caregiving doesn't just touch our military veteran community. It really is part of the human experience. And I think more and more people are realizing um, what caregiving is, how it's affecting their lives, and really wanting to reach out and and engage with others who understand. Um, has there been a
1: point in your caregiving journey in the last decade that, stands out to you more than another when you, when you got help um, or you, you know, you, you made that connection with somebody who walked you through the, the muck?
3: Yeah. So I was always kind of nervous to share anything about our caregiver experience. Um, And I, I always privately wrote sort of the dark stuff and the tough days. And I, I had never talked to anyone else who had experienced that and I still remember the first time someone called me a caregiver and I kind of didn't really register with that word. You know, the nurse came out and said, Oh, are you Steven's caregiver? And I was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just his wife, you know? And, uh, and, uh, I, I was also kind of affronted because at the time I was like 30 years old and I'm like, no, 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 my husband's young, you know, right. Cause caregivers only take care of old people. You know, that's, that's how my mind looked at caregivers. And so, when I finally heard that word, and, you know, and again, I'm laying in bed at night thinking about that word. Um, I got up and started looking for support in that avenue because before I had always looked for military spouse support, and, and yeah. there you find things on the next deployment and how to find a job and childcare options on your base or commissary, you know, things that were very relevant to an active duty spouse, um, but didn't speak at all to kind of the darker stuff that we were dealing with. And I mean, I even didn't tell anyone at our Tiny Tots class that Stephen was in the Wounded Warrior Battalion because there was like, it just, I didn't, I just didn't want anyone to know. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stigma, especially around, you know, PTSD. Um, But once that nurse called me a caregiver and, you know, she just, you know, she's like, after I went the whole, no, my husband's young and I'm just his wife. She's like, You're probably both, and and okay, um, a million things to do that day, but laying in bed, okay, caregiver. So I get up, I can't sleep, and I search that word, and then I search military caregiver, and um, I found my people. I found people that were also not talking about wounds, illness, injury for fear of career or stigma or losing friends or how everyone treated them like they were contagious once they said they had something. and really, you know, it's nice. And I see Melissa Johnson smiling there because she knows she was in one of those groups that I found 10 years ago in the middle of the night, just kind of looking for anyone that might understand. Um, now, these horrible nightmares.
1: I, hear you, I hear you talk a lot about your thinking in bed at night, you're awake. Um, my brother has experienced uh, night terrors. It's something that it's hard to describe um, how the, that affects your family mm-hmm. and um, it's hard to describe how that affects you and then you feel guilty because you're like well I'm not the one having the night care you know and um, I, I don't sleep in the same bed with my brother but I you know I've been grabbed before I've been, uh, un, you know it's, it's just one of those things that we kind of learned to live with but you did something really special to cope with that can you can you tell us what you did?
3: Yeah, so I, um, I have always been a big fan of journaling. I've kept a diary since I was in kindergarten. I mean, just a big fan of writing how your day went. And, um, you know, then going back and reading it and processing things and, and measuring your own personal growth. So in the midst of the worst of my husband's horrific nightmares, and you know, I've, I always feel like I didn't sleep for like three years. Um, and also as a new mom, so they were like, you know, I didn't know. I honestly thought I was going crazy, I, and, but it really was just this lack of sleep. But in the middle of the night, when things would start to get scary, I would just get up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And what I would do is I would just write. I would just write all the dark things I couldn't tell anyone else. Um, I would, you know, just little pen to paper, little just blurts of thoughts I mean, middle of the night thoughts. And I just, kept doing that and uh, just writing them out and kind of putting them aside, writing things out. And it became my best, you know, it was my best self-care during that time. That was my non-negotiable, like, okay, well, I'm not gonna get any sleep. Well, I'll go and do this so I can get these thoughts out of my head. And I never carried them with me. Like I have that whole collection, which is called Sleeping with the War that I was able to have published by the War Writers Campaign. But I never carried that with me I sort of wrote it out if that makes sense and I could put it aside and I could you know get up with the sunrise and do it all over again and it was a really it was a gift to be able to do that. It it is a gift I know Mary and I have
1: each found a a lot of uh, healing through our writing and um, I'm sure Melissa Johnson has written more uh, more than all of us put together in her counsel online counseling with other peers and email introductions so that you can find you know get the right contact at the right hospital. Um, i I found that journaling is the one thing through my whole life, because as I did journaling as a kid, my grandma encouraged me to write down. Uh, have my thoughts even if nobody ever read them because it would help me make sense of everything mm. and I think truly when we we journal it it helps us negotiate the events and our responses and um, and move forward and I'm so glad that you wrote that and i I'm, we're going to put a link in the show notes right mayor and uh, make sure everybody can can have access to that and um, man I'm so glad you did that because I I know that whether you are a caregiver and you're up because your loved one is having nightmares from combat or they're experiencing Alzheimer's and dementia and they're, you know, having an incident that can feel so strange and make you feel crazy because you're not sleeping and dark and weird. And it's um, disclosing that can feel so vulnerable. And most people just don't do it. You know, you, most people just get up and go about their day and don't tell anybody how horrible that was in the, in the darkest part of the night. So, man, I applaud you for doing that. Um,
0: well, you know, Jen, sometimes our um, listeners have let, have let me know that um, they listen to the podcast at night, like in the middle of the night when they can't sleep because they feel like they're listening to a friend because we're talking about all the things, all of us today have talked about the things no matter how you come to caregiving, they've experienced in their own lives and it makes them feel less alone.
1: So- I hope today they've, they've found two new friends um, to, to share, share some time with on their podcast. I um, absolutely cherish the feedback that we get from our audience and um, I hope they'll connect with us. I bet you guys didn't know this, but you can share your caregiving story on our website, This Caregiver Life. And um, you can even give us, uh, tell us who you are and how old you are and kind of help us get a look into who our audience is. But uh, we love for caregivers to share their story, whether they want to come on and share it live, most don't, um, or they just want to tell us about what they're going through. Um, and we use, can use that in our future episodes. So I hope they feel a little bit more courageous about doing that after hearing your stories, both of your stories today. Um, Mayor, what am I missing?
0: from the show yeah so i wanted to ask you guys a couple of things you know i'm a i'm a social studies teacher so i like a little bit of history so i would love to know the how a uh, military veteran care network got started what was you know kind of what was the genesis of that and then if you're a caregiver listening particularly in the meta- military veteran lane what what could they expect to find on your website for services that would help them cope with their caregiver in life? Anybody can answer.
3: All right, I will take that one. So the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network was actually born out of joining forces. So you might've seen that joining forces is coming back. But in 2014 at a White House event where Jennifer, Melissa and I were all there, um, a, a wonderful effort was put into place to provide structured peer support for caregivers. And at that time, TAPS, which is the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, was identified as the, the best option to incubate this program. Now, if you haven't heard of TAPS before, they've been in the survivor space for nearly 30 years or 25 plus years. Um, providing that peer support for survivors, our gold star families. And what we were able to do there is uh, take their experience and change the scopes to caregiving. And we already talked about grief. We know that there's a lot of grief also associated with caregiving. And so some of those module, or models of survivor peer support actually are very, very relevant to caregiver peer support. And we identified Dr. Ellen Wolfelt, who has a Center for Life and Loss Transition, and he has the companioning model of peer support. Um, And that's really walking alongside someone. I loved what you said earlier, Mary, about you don't have to defend anything about your experience, right? You just have someone who's a companion, not leading, not following, just there. Um, And uh, We We work with that model, the companioning model, where people are equals and sharing a lived experience together. And we use the reciprocal peer support model out of Rutgers University, which is that feeling you get when you help others, how it helps you, and really building on that idea and and building people up to help each other Um, because we all have bad days. We all have good days and we all have bad days. And it's nice to have people that can walk alongside that and can offer you support as needed. Um, so I was interested in the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network before it was even called that. Um, there I met Dr. Linda Davis at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and she kind of stormed right up to me and had her iPad and was asking questions about what was most important to caregiver, you know, caregiver to caregiver. And, you know, I was talking about safe places, non-judgment, um, really, and also helping people understand that that's what they're doing is they're a caregiver. Um, And, uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with her tenacity and her her vision for uh, getting more support for caregivers. And then in 2015, the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network launched in conjunction with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation event that year, uh, where they announced it and um, our online community went live. And, you know, we've just been building and growing since, you know, it's exciting to see now six years later uh, where we are and and what the network has become and how many caregivers we're supporting. It's just, it's really been a great journey. Wow, well, we appreciate you guys so much for all your time and effort that you
0: put into into the, the caregiver network. I mean, just even at large, even beyond being a military veteran caregiver, I think you guys offer so much to so many people and we appreciate that.
3: And Melissa, do you want to tell them what they can expect to find?
2: Yeah, so if you visit our website, which is <laughs> redcross.org slash caregivers, um, we have it's a very streamlined, simple website, easy to navigate, but it has information about our three programs, which we have a peer mentor program where caregivers can um, complete a profile to be matched with a, a mentor who has also completed a profile. It's kind of like our peermentormatch.com. We'd like to joke, um, you find your perfect match uh, for support. So you can have some one-on-one support. Um, you can find information about our online Peer support groups. Everything is of course running virtually right now with COVID but uh, when we launched our programs in 2016 we were virtual so we were already ahead of the curve, very comfortable using technology and meeting virtually and wanting to keep that component uh, as we moved forward and and grew so that we could reach caregivers who were isolated, who lived in rural areas, who couldn't leave their home to go to a support group or couldn't travel to get to a, a support group. Um, So that's been a a big blessing for us to have already been ahead of the curve with that. And then, of course, once the world opens again, we will be offering peer support groups in local communities and training caregivers to provide all of these support options. We also have our online community, which is similar to a social media network um, where caregivers can come and get information, resources, find out about our events. Um, And then also on the website, we have our caregiver calendar, which lists all of our events and many partner events that are available for caregivers to register. Um, everything we offer is free of charge. So, you know, if you wanna register for an event, there's never a fee for that. Uh, We share things that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is doing. We do a lot of things with Blue Star Families, you know, try to really highlight what our partner organizations are doing. And then you can also find that um, Hero Care Resource Directory that Melissa talked about with uh, resources. There's over 800 resources per US zip code, and that is open to military and veteran caregivers, caregivers who don't have any affiliation with the military, and anyone. It's free to use. Um, You know, so any resource you might want locally is there, and you can also connect to national resources. So just those few things on our website, I think makes a big impact because you don't have to navigate through a lot.
1: That's outstanding. We'll be sure and put links to those in the show notes.
0: Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's a lot of programs. we have more caregivers than ever before with COVID. So our fifty-three million plus caregivers has probably gone, grown tremendously over the last 10 months. And the more support we can offer, the better. That's great. Well, we appreciate having you guys on the show. I have I have some good news to share. We have 4,734 listeners. So woohoo! Woo! So excited about that. This is episode 59,
1: but I have to tell you, it feels so new every time. Um, and so safe and comfortable and non-judgmental. And I hope that our audience feels that way too, because this caregiver life is not something easy and it's not something that you can get through alone. And you ladies are doing so much for others. And we're just, all of our appreciation goes to you.
2: Can I add just one little nugget? I'm sorry, I don't right. want to- Yeah, do it. You know, one of the things as you say that, that comes to mind is, you know, oftentimes caregivers wonder like, am I qualified? Do I, do I meet the, the requirements for this program or that program and, and having to prove what you do. Uh, so the requirement to be part of the Military Veteran Caregiver Network is simply that you love and care for someone who's served in the military or is in the military. There is no you know, qualifying feature of how, you know, how they were injured, where they were injured. If they're injured, you know, it might be due to aging. So you know, we just really encourage anyone who feels they need that support to come for that support.
0: That's a fantastic piece to add because I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that at all. I, we did an interview of, um, oh gosh, it was last year before COVID, she takes care of her dad and he has Parkinson's and he's a Korean war veteran, but he's not so connected. And so, you know, I would never have thought to offer um, Military Veteran Care Network as a resource for her.
3: I have to add yeah. another nugget <laughs> because just this last uh, Veterans Day, I, since the inception of the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network, we have had veterans come to us and say, hey, I'm caring for my spouse. This says it's the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network. Can I su- get support from you? I'm looking for that caregiver support as a veteran myself. And for the longest time, we have only been able to have our scope where the veterans the care recipient. Um, And I absolutely adore the Red Cross, especially our mission at Service to the Armed Forces, because when I brought this to them and said more and more veterans themselves are finding them in a caregiving role, either for another veteran, a family member, a special needs child, they're looking for that support and they want to stay connected to that military veteran space. Like we all do. Many of us want to still have that component attached to whatever it is we're doing, especially caregiving. Um, So this past Veterans Day, we were able to open up the Military and Veteran Caregiver Network to support uh, service members and veterans who are caregivers as well. And we have a special group just for veteran caregivers. And it's, it's thinking of it veterans as caregivers, not caregivers who care for veterans. Uh, But we welcome veterans as well in their caregiving, um, and we hope to provide the same support. Uh, The benefits and and, uh, resources are different, and that's okay, but we are one big military veteran family, and we want to make sure that people get the support that they need. And I'm just so grateful that the Red Cross and Service to the Armed Forces um, made it possible for us to open to veterans who are also caregivers.
0: Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. I never, I would never even thought about that.
1: I hear, I've heard from veterans um, who are caregivers and I actually, they definitely seem like fish out of water more so than a traditional caregiver because they have, they've become accustomed to very structured environment and environment where um, if, if you need to rehabilitate it's very organized it has timelines then you get back to the mission and you know caregiving is nothing like that <laughs> and I'm sure that the services you're providing feel, I know they fill a much needed void so bravo to you for that
0: well guys ladies not guys well ladies well, we'll wrap it up because we've consumed so much of your time today. <laughs> and we, we just appreciate that you gave us this time and gosh, what a good conversation we've had. It's like visiting with old friends, you know, the time flies by. It does. I know. And someday, hopefully in 2021, we'll see each other in person. Absolutely. That's the
1: goal. My fingers are crossed. Yeah. I, I mean, my toes are crossed. Everything is crossed. <laughs> Um, I'm so we're so ready for, it. we kind of started out talking about how, um, you know, this year isn't going the way, way I sure thought it was and um, something that Melissa said is that we just have to get through to the new year. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to get through to the new year. Hey, you know what, speaking of uh, guys and ladies, I bet you didn't know that um, only 53% of our audience is actually female. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's it's so cool. And I just wanted to, to all the guys out there, I just want to give you a shout out. We've met a number of male caregivers um, through this podcast, and we thank you for listening. And um, we hope that you'll connect. I know there are a number of male caregivers on MVCN as well. So I know you'll find some friendly uh, voices there too. So Jen, how
0: can people find
1: us? Well, I hope they find our our dazzling, uh, but still evolving website, which is this Um, and if you just want to send us an email, we get those too. um, it's this life at gmail.com. And we're on all the social channels, not Pinterest, not yet, but we might be.
0: We could be. We'll see how it's 2021. <laughs> continues to roll out before we overpromise and under deliver <laughs> yeah but we're on insta
1: and facebook and we share we don't just share things about the podcast we share resources and news yeah. articles and um we hope that uh, you'll you'll check us out like our page and uh, and share us with your friends as well and one last thing Mayor, if you're on twitter you can find us we're just at this caregiver we dropped the life
0: yeah we don't even know really you just like the caregiver life, you'll find us somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also love ideas for podcasts. So,
1: if you want to be a guest or you have an idea for a book that we should review or um, a topic that we should discuss, please send that to us. We'd, we'd love to, to have your idea as an episode on the show.
0: Yep, you would. And so, with that, till the next time. Till next time, Mayor.
2: America's service members are unstoppable. Wounded Warrior Project advocates for these heroes, helping injured veterans achieve their highest ambition. They're unstoppable heroes. Support warriors today
0: at WoundedWarriorProject.org.